Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 206, Home versus Vieira, also known as UFC Vegas 55. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me, as always, is the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network, Mr. Keith Schillen. It's always showtime at BetMGM Sports. You can make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000 when you sign up with the code Sherdog. Don't let another game day go by without having the ultimate sports betting app in the palm of your hand. Discover non-stop excitement with BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and dozens of betting options, including live wagers, props, parlays, and much more. No matter what your favorite sport is or how you like to wager, find out why there's nothing like getting a W at the king of sportsbooks. Use the code SHERDOG and make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000 Download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Arizona, Colorado, Washington, D.C., Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire in seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, and Virginia. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help uh, in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Tennessee, call the red line at 800-889-9789. In Mississippi, call 1-888-777-9696. Sports betting is void where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada. Keith, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Uh, we We got 10 fights. A uh, couple good ones, a couple terrible ones, but it's always, you know, bad fights is still better than like the best hockey game, the best baseball. I don't give a shit what anybody says. Bad fights is still better. So uh, I'm excited. How you doing, man? I, I'm doing really well. And I kind of agree with you. Like in general, bad fights, better than no fights. Bad fights, you know, better than pretty good versions of a lot of other sports. Uh, I mean, obviously way back in the day, Dana White was famous for that thing. You know, if you're on a street corner and over there they're having a baseball game and over there they're playing a football game and over in that corner they're having a fight, you're going to go watch the fight. Well, of course you are because a law is probably be being being broken. You're going like, to yeah. see if anybody you know needs what? help. It's funny. it's funny because he's had, he's had said some stupid stuff like fighting is going to be bigger than soccer and all this stuff. But I don't hate that one because no, it is true. true. Mm-hmm. That's what I was like. I joke with friends who like try to talk shit about MMA, and I'd be like, "It's the most popular sport in the world." And then I, I literally steal Dana White's. Yeah. And I play it off as like my, it's oh. my own. Dude, it's and it's true. Even it's like meta true within the UFC because I remember one of the last events I covered live in Houston, uh, maybe two sixty two. I, I can't remember. Anyway, it was in the middle of kind of a boring fight in the cage, and all of a sudden the fight broke out in the stands, 
And there were more people watching the fight in the stands than the fight in the cage. So even in the middle of like your sport MMA, like a real fight breaks out yeah. where someone's getting broken off and like all the, you see all the phones come out and like all the lights are shining in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I don't follow basketball at all. Like I just, I used to watch it back in the day, but it just one of these things, you, you start having kids and, and different things. You have other responsibilities. So I haven't really watched any of the NBA playoffs. But I know Chris Paul almost got in a fight with a fan and Chris Paul's mama or something like that was getting into it. Like, we love illegal fights. It is what it is. Yep, it, it, it is. What this card is, is, as you pointed out, 10 fights. That, I mean, if it goes through that way, that'll be the shortest UFC card short by design, not because of last minute cancellations in probably a full year. I mean, I'll have to look back it and check that. Longer than that. I mean, we had a couple of nine fight cards last year, but it's because things fell apart during fight week. COVID and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here I, and it would have been 11, but, you know, a way back, this card was supposed to have Ben Rothwell versus Alexander Gustafson off it. Cold hearted, the UFC cut Rothwell after the fight was already booked. And then <laughs> Gustafson, they, they never found him another opponent, or, or at least not one that he would accept. So this went from 11 to 10 fights. And personally, having seen, what is it, two fights worth of the Alexander Gustafson experiment at heavyweight, I'm just fine with it being 10. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know who they would have dug up to instead of getting Ben Roth. Like, who could who could have filled in? Like, you got, I, I you dug tell up you, Evan Cole. I mean, what, who are you trying to, you know, what would be an easy win for Gustafson? Go pull up uh, Paul Bonatello somewhere? Like, uh, <laughs> dude, I mean, we're about to talk about Parker Porter as a short notice replacement. So I, I can tell you what kind of people they could have found. Yeah, I, I think Parker Porter might be better than Ben Rothfell right now. Man, I, I almost don't want to start diving into this too much. That's what we got. We, wanna... we got to throw a poll up there because this is what the people want to talk about. Who Who's tougher, Ben Rothwell or uh, Connecticut's own Parker Porter? I'll, I'll see if I can I, I can add a poll to this. Do you want to just uh, dive in and start talking about these prelims? Yeah, let's do it. Next up at UFC Fight Night 206, featherweights take the cage, and it is Chase Hooper versus Felipe Diaz Colares. Hooper, the 22-year-old uh, Washington State native, is 10-2-1 overall. He is 2-2 two two, uh, since joining the UFC in 2019. He has alternated wins and losses. Uh, defeated Daniel Tamer in his uh, debut, lost to Alex Caceres, beat Peter Barrett, and most recently, last June at UFC 263, dropped a unanimous decision to Steven Peterson. He will be taking on Colares. The 28-year-old Brazilian is 10-3 overall. He is two and three since joining the UFC as uh, the jungle fight uh, featherweight champ. Like he won the vacant title, then immediately vacated it again to join the UFC. He has alternated wins and losses as well. He is just on the uh, downswing of that. He lost to Geraldo de Freitas, beat Domingo Pilarte, lost to Montel Jackson, beat Luke Sanders, and most recently, last October, dropped a split decision to Chris Gutierrez at UFC Fight Night Dern versus Rodriguez. Uh, early odds on this one, again, go to BetMGM for the latest lines. Uh, but, you know, as of a week out from the fight, Colares, a uh, slight favorite. He's minus 160, Hooper plus 140. Uh, I mean, Keith, Chase Hooper had a little bit of buzz when he entered the UFC just because he was so incredibly young. I mean, he was 20 years old, uh, one of the youngest fighters ever to get a win in the UFC. I can't remember if he's the youngest, but he, you know, he's 
in the top three. He, I mean, and he had that kind of goofy charisma. You know, he went around pretending he was uh, Ben Askren's illegitimate kid just because they basically have the same hair. Uh, obviously, as he's alternated wins and losses against unranked middle-of-the-road featherweights in the UFC, a lot of that buzz is gone. But uh, I don't know, man. He's At this point, I'm, I kind of ask myself, Okay, what one thing does he do at a UFC level? You know, at 22, he's not going to be a finished product, but what one thing does he do? And the one thing he does is he is a physically large, like lanky, long-limbed featherweight who creates matchup problems just by his very size and puts it to good use on the ground. He's a, you know, very good opportunistic grappler, but I think even that's almost to his detriment because if that's your only way you can win fights at a UFC level, you're going to turn into a guy that's just looking for low percentage submissions and getting walloped on fight after fight. The guys that he's come up against that can take care of themselves on the ground, Alex Caceres and Steven Peterson, have handled him. The guys that weren't really UFC level, he has run game on them on the ground. That's just not a recipe for longevity in the UFC featherweight division, which is, one, incredibly deep and competitive, and two, filled with physical specimens like serious athletes who are going to make his relative lack of strength and relative lack of uh just athletic pop really stick out he he reminds me of kind of like a featherweight mickey gall where he got signed too early too inexperienced and just didn't have many tools and gall has stuck around to the point where hey you know he, he's it's like five years later he's pushing 30 now and you know, he's kind of grown into his body and into his strength. He's become just kind of a, another mid-roster welterweight. Only time will tell whether Hooper, like, follows that road, but he's not going to get a whole lot more rope. And he's taking on someone in Felipe Colares that even though he's moving up from Bantamweight, is probably going to be stronger than he is and is capable of taking care of himself on the ground. Like, he's a good grappler. Uh, I just, I, I think this is a bad matchup. For Hooper, I kind of agree with the line where Colaris is a slight to me medium favorite. I don't think he's going to tap Hooper out, but I think he's just going to outlast him. I think he'll be able to keep it on the feet if he wants. If it goes to the ground, as long as he watches out for like sneaky like heel hooks and, uh, you know, knee bars and stuff, I think he's going to be fine. And he's probably going to punish Hooper for trying that stuff. So give me Felipe Colaris by decision. And yeah, probably just kind of a deflating, discouraging outing for uh, for Chase Hooper. Yeah, um, so Chase Hooper was never a guy on the contender series that I liked. Like, I didn't, I didn't think he should have got a contract. I didn't think he was that good. I didn't think he was ready. Um, and I haven't seen much improvement since. I mean, he's a southpaw who's just his striking is very raw. I mean, he got outstruck by Steven Peterson, who's not really um, known for his striking. I mean, he got out wrestled too, but he's. He's got some long reach. He marches down his foe, which you like. He's got insane output, so he's gonna put himself in a fight. Like he's got. Yes, but what's the one thing he can do well? He's insanely tough. He might not be talented, but his 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 toughness is second to none. Like he'll take a beat and keep going. Um, he throws punches straight down the pipe, but he isn't really an athlete. His his strikes are slow. He lacks power. There's not much arsenal strikes, like very basic arm punches. Did the did like the same one-two combination over and over again to, to try to uh, hit Alex Caceres. I think I said before, it looks like a guy who just does like a lot of body, um, like heavy bag stuff. 
and just does like the same combination. Like a coach calls out like one, two, and he just does it. And then he tries doing it in a fight. Um, he doesn't react to strikes well. Like he, he kind of flops a little bit when he gets hit and make, almost reacts. Like he makes it look worse than the actual strike is. Um, but in fairness, like while he gets hit, he's, he's tough. He's going to keep coming. Like he's going to hit his head. He's going to go flying back and then he's going to take another step forward and get hit again. And he's a weak wrestler. Like though he's re- he's relentless to get the fight to the ground, and he'll get it there because of that. Because of that nonstop, it's more like the pace is is tough. Uh, he'll pull guard. He'll aim an eye roll, like whatever it has. If he, if he just bull rushes, runs at his opponent, he'll do anything to close the distance. If he gets on top, he's got some pretty good ground and pound. Uh, some slick back takes. I mean, to his credit, he did take Alex Caceres's back in their fight. Uh, and he's very aggressive to get a submission, and he's got those long arms and legs that he can lock in a submission. I mean, you go back to like the Peter Barrett fight; he was able to make a comeback win in a fight that he was getting killed in, uh, and he can get some submission off his back. But overall, like he's such a minus athlete <laughs> that um, I I think he still needs like two or three more years of seasoning in the, in the minors. And it's just one of these guys like. Some guys aren't meant to be in the UFC, and I, I'm starting to question if that was the case with Chase Hooper. Like, you can be get as much season you want, you can uh, be in the minors for a long time, but you know, being a regional fighter, you know, just like minor league baseball, some guys just don't get the call up. Uh, Kalaris, he's a he's a high pressure striker who really likes to brawl. Uh, I go back to like the Montel Jackson fight; he was getting tagged up by a hard hit in Montel Jackson. He just marched forward regardless, and it made a very entertaining fight. Throws lots of kicks. Uh, he follows his kicks to land strikes or just to gain ground, very like to mean style. He likes to get inside and throw down. Uh, he's got weak takedown defense, which which is not good against a guy like Chase Hooper, and he makes matters worse. Going to jump on a guillotine, but he's hard to hold down. And um, but in his his ability to get back up to his feet, he will give up his back, which is the uh, very like Chuck Liddell style, just like turn turn it back and pop right up. Which obviously against a good back taker is dangerous. Um, but he is a submission threat himself. He has five submission wins in his career. As far as predictions go, I, I'm going with Claris too. I just, I just don't trust Hooper. Um, could, should, could he suddenly make huge improvements from fight to fight based on he's so young? Yeah, it could, but I need to see it first before I start trusting him. I think Claris is a, I actually think Claris is a, is a strong stylistic matchup for, Hooper, like, if Hooper's going to beat someone, Kolaris is the kind of guy, because he'll give him the opportunity. He already has a weak, like, take the defense, and he'll, like, jump guard, give him the chance. But I still think he struggles. Cause I, I thought Peterson was the same way. Like, Peterson was a good, if you got to beat someone in the UFC, Peterson's one of them. Kolaris is kind of in that same category. I see Kolaris being smart enough to just kind of play a sprawl and brawl game. And I think he just batters on the feet in those exchanges he has. Give me Kolaris. Uh, and a pretty lopsided decision. There you go. Two strong picks for Felipe Calares to continue reigning on the Hooper Parade in the UFC. Next up at UFC Vegas 55 is a bantamweight matchup between Jonathan Martinez and Vince Morales. Martinez, the 28-year-old East Texas native by way of Dallas. He is a, or sorry, by way of uh, Denver. He's a Factory X product now is 15 and 4 overall. He is 6 and 3 in the UFC and has followed a kind of a, a perfect pattern. He has won uh he has lost one and won two 
throughout his UFC career. The most recent uh, trio, a loss to Davy Grant last March, then back-to-back decision wins over Zviad, Lazishvili, and Alejandro Perez. The most recent of those, the Perez fight, was back in February at UFC Fight Night, Makachev versus Green. He'll be taking on Morales, the 31-year-old Idaho native by way of Las Vegas. Uh, he trains out of Syndicate MMA, is 11-5 overall. He is 3-3 three and three since joining the UFC as a veteran of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, but uh, he lost on the Contender Series, picked up one win in Bellator, and then joined the UFC. Uh, he is on a two-fight win streak, those being a unanimous decision over Draco Rodriguez last August at UFC 265, and a first-round knockout of Luis Smolka at UFC on ESPN Font versus Aldo last December. Despite the win streak for Morales, he is the slight underdog here. Early odds have Martinez around minus 180, Morales around plus 155. But again, those are early lines. Do go to BetMGM and check the most recent lines before you make any sort of investment. Uh, Keith, two intriguing bantamweights. Uh, two bantamweights that... I don't. I didn't think either of these guys had top fifteen upside in the UFC based on Morales's bad loss on the Contender Series, based on Martinez's bad loss to Andre Sukumtat in his uh, debut. But here they both are, and either of these guys. I mean, they're both on two fight win streaks. Either of these guys is kind of right on the verge of of being on that radar. Who do you have in this one? You forgot to mention Rodan's own Andre Sukumtat. Uh, yeah, this is an intriguing matchup. Like both guys uh, are guys that I mean, they're not going to be top fifteen contenders, but they're always going to be like a tough test. Like they're if you're a rising prospect and you have to face Jonathan Martinez, that's that's your first tough test. Uh, and, and and I think the same can be said about Vince Morales. So Martinez is a southpaw with some really good distance striking. He's very kickboxing style, really good technique. Uh, just sharp striker, fast hands. He de- he does be a little bit of a point fighter. He lacks that like one punch fight ending knockout power, but he works behind a pretty jab, likes to target the body, mixes punches and kicks well. And as re- recently, he's always been a kicker, but recently it's like he's upped it a lot. Tons of kicks, teep kicks, uh, will quickly throw up a high kick to, to check the chin. Uh, I love that he'll occasionally tossed out a flying knee. Now, while he is a great striker, he was knocked out by David Grant. Um, but I, I think that, I think just you guys get caught. It just happens. Uh, not much of a grapple. You, you don't see any offensive grapple from him ever, and he has been taken down in a lot of fights. Uh, but he does pretty well to work back to his feet. He, I mean, he, he wants to have a kickboxing match. Uh, Morales, a lot of things I'm gonna say is he has been in, in the cage for his last fight. Uh, I think did he get COVID or something? I, I feel like wait, he pulled out. I think fight week, didn't he? His last fight. It was. I don't think it was him. I think it was like one of his cornermen. There was a protocol oh, thing, yeah, but something, like, like, yeah, something okay. like that. Yeah. He's he's a uh, he's a volume striker. He's a high high pressure striker, high volume, accurate, uh, pretty elusive to avoid shots. Uh, he kind of he's a little slip and rip style. I'd say plus power. Like he he. He's got more power than Martinez. Uh, he also has a killer instinct. Like if he hurts his opponent, he swarms on them, which I really like. Uh, mixes takedowns in well. He's not one-dimensional. He does well to drive through the heats, uh, th- drive through the hips. Excuse me. He's got some weak 
defensive wrestling though like it just seems like so many guys i say that about one on the other uh it's usually those are guys who don't come from a wrestling background so they kind of focus on one instead of the other um he does have two submission wins so that's something you can watch for but he has been submitted like two of his last uh out of his five losses he's been submitted two of them so that's so he's not like a wizard or anything uh i'm surprised martinez is like a two to one favorite almost a two to one favorite like i think this is a 50 50 as they come um morales output is pretty impressive and he's probably the better rest better wrestler so he's he's a middle, he's a more well-rounded fighter but i just like the variety in martinez striking i like how much his kicks have come along it's really his high kick has started to become a a pretty good threat uh i think he's a little quicker too so i will go with the favorite and uh, give me martinez and a pretty close decision. Yeah, I, I like a lot of what you put out there. I've got to say that the move to Factory X has really done wonders for Martinez because he's the same basic fighter. He wanted to be a distant striker who kind of determined the range and the, the rhythm of the, the contest. And he just wasn't able to impose that on early opponents very well, including Andre Sukumtat, who, I mean, all respect to Rhode Island, you know, was not a world beater at the UFC level. Uh, but he's just displaying so much more power in his kicks. And I have to think that's just due to working with a good, like Muay Thai camp uh, and a good coach and uh, Mark Montoya, who just, yeah, just has him throwing harder and has him throwing a better variety of, of kicks. This is a, a fight where I'm a little surprised at the lot, the early lines, same as you are. And this is one where, especially earlier in Martinez's run, I would have thought this was like kind of tailor-made for Morales to win. Like, He's going to be able to get inside Martinez's kicking range. He's going to be able to take him down if he wants and kind of bully him there because uh, I, I think he's a little physically stronger uh, than than Martinez. But those things have all been shored up. I'm still leaning slightly towards Morales here, but I'm a lot less confident uh, about it than I would have been if they'd met, say, like two years ago. Uh, but give me Morales in the mild upset here by decision. I just I, I expect that he's going to keep Martinez out of his comfort zone. He's going to be coming forward. He's going to be uh, forcing Martinez to use his footwork to stay in his preferred range, which is going to, that's going to blunt Martinez's output and it's going to make uh, Morales's already higher striking volume probably seem even more so by comparison. So just give me Morales to win two rounds out of three here. Maybe there's one round where he makes Martinez spend a lot of time on the ground, but this should be a real fun one. Next up, it is a lightweight matchup between Omar Morales and Uros Medic. Morales, the 36-year-old Venezuelan, is 11-2 overall. He is 3-2 in the UFC uh, since joining out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. It is worth noting that while he is 3-2 in the UFC, he's 2-0 at lightweight in the UFC. Look at the man's picture. There, look at it. It's on your screen right now. That dude decided he should try to cut to featherweight. Didn't work out so hot. At any rate, at lightweight, he's undefeated. Uh, determining whether he stays that way will be Medic. The 29-year-old Serb, by way of Alaska, now by way of Southern California, is 7-1 overall. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. He won his debut, smashing Alon Cruz uh, in the first round at UFC 259 last March. Came back last September and got choked out in the early round. Uh, Sorry, got choked out late in the first round by Jalen Turner. That was at UFC 266. The odds here are uh, fairly close, but uh, in the early going, Omar Morales minus 155, Medich plus 135 or so. 
Keith, I'll say this much. I'm glad that Morales is just apparently deciding to stick at lightweight. I mean, he is ridiculously jacked, and it's not like he's a five foot six guy. You know, you look at that picture, you're not looking at Chad Mendez. Like, he's a big guy. It was ridiculous that he kept trying to make featherweight, and especially in your mid 30s, like that weight cut just seemed not to make much sense. But uh, he's got a guy in, in Medich that, at the very least, is going to remind him what a good size UFC lightweight looks like because Medich is huge. Uh, I mean, he's not a super, super plus athlete, but he's really big uh, for uh, lightweights and he's strong. Uh, I mean, he just, he bowled over Alon Cruz and just smashed him up in the first round. Those who have followed our show for a long time may remember that I picked Medich to lose his debut against Cruz just based on him having had so many really, really fast finishes in uh, Alaska before joining the UFC. And just because he is a titanic lightweight who had fought at welterweight as well, I was just like, you know what? Between the first time uh, UFC thing, between the big weight cut, between not never having been pushed like really past like the first round, I'm going to pick Alon Cruz in the upset. His actual coaches at Anchorage BJJ came for us. And damn if they weren't right, because he just steamrolled Cruz. But then next fight, he ran into someone in Jalen Turner that he couldn't just steamroll because Turner is even bigger and on top of all that, a very plus good. athlete. Yeah, and very good. Yeah, and, and and very good. And Turner just made it look so easy on the ground against Medich. Just effortless positional advances, uh, took his back and choked him out. And again, just made them look a class apart. I, even though Medich is the slight underdog here, this is a fight that to me is is kind of built for him to bounce back. Uh, he's gonna be bigger than uh, Morales. And while I think his best routes to victory lie in getting it on the ground, like, you know, Morales, he, he's aging. Uh, like, I don't know, even at lightweight, what his gas tank is going to look like if this thing gets out of the first round. I don't know why I'm still hung up on the idea of an Urosh Medich fight getting out of the first round. But, you know, it's got to happen one of these times. And Morales might be the guy because, you know, for all that he looks like a comic book hero, you know, his fights aren't always like complete barn burners. I'm leaning towards Medici to win kind of a grindy decision. You know, I am, I imagine he'll be working for the takedown quite a bit. I imagine there'll be some lengthy clinch exchanges and it'll just be uh, a matter of who can kind of impose their preferred game plan. Cause Morales is probably going to want Medich off him. Uh, so yeah, give me Medich in the slight upset here by decision. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned Morales is extremely physically strong. I mean, he just guys chiseled. I, I think we view him a little differently. Like, I think he, I think he has a little bit of Francisco Trinaldo in him. And what I mean by that is, like, some fights can be painful to watch, and some fights he has very good output. Like, like Trinaldo's last fight, he had good output. Yeah. And I've I've seen Morales be very aggressive. You know, um, and you make a good point because Trinaldo's last fight was at the higher weight class, and he clearly fed off that with a better gas tank. So, good point. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, Morales, I'd say, has uh, plus power. Um, he he has some – he doesn't move his head enough. Um, he kind of, like, walks through punches, which is not good when you go against, like, a Giga Chikazi and he just butches you up. Um, but he throws hard light kicks, and he, and he checks light kicks, which are very few fighters that do. Uh, he's a good wrestler, good entries, solid topside grappler. He's smart at, like, winning rounds, just getting takedown late. I was surprised about how easily he was submitted by Jonathan Pierce, though. But I think Jonathan Pierce is starting to show that he's 
actually fairly much better than you know, a lot of people thought. Um, on, on, is, on a scale on a scale, scale from OSP to GSP, he's kind of in the middle at this point. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Metis, he, he's a southpaw that you mentioned is huge for the weight class, long and lengthy. He's, he's six foot one, 70 inch reach. Uh, you're talking about how big Morales is. Metis is even bigger. Uh, a kickboxer with a lot of kickboxing experience. He isn't a top-notch athlete, but he's very unorthodox, which is hard to read. He'll come, he'll come out like you mentioned. He'll come out like a, a bat out of hell, uh, come out of his corner like he's possessed. But he'll throw out spinning attacks. Um, the way he came out against Alan Cruz, like he was knocking Cruz out before Cruz. I think even Cruz knew the fight had started. Like he was right on him. Um, but it's a double-edged sword, as you mentioned. He got tagged up by Jalen Turner for for that same style. Uh, Medish is accurate. With his aggression, and he's got some pop in his hands. Uh, he does like to force his opponent back on their back foot. He does a lot of it with kicks. Uh, his kicks are dangerous too. He folded Mikey ro- uh, rolls uh, on the contender series with with body kicks. Uh, and he also has like a Tim Means style where he'll throw kicks, long range kicks, to just kind of follow in to get into the clinch. Um, but his defensive wrestling is a bit of an Achilles heel. He struggles when he's taken down, struggles off his back. Uh, though he does have subs off his back, uh, he, he'll go for like a knee bar or heel hook, but he's still spending time on his back. Uh, and as you mentioned, we haven't seen him go past the second round, so cardio is a question mark. Now, it's not like an alert because we don't know, but it, it, it's something that, you know, you know, not can't be confident in. Now, as far as prediction, you know, this is a really tough one. It's a tough one because both guys have looked brilliant in fights, and both guys have not. Both guys did not look good in their last fight. Um, Medish has the raw skills and aggression. He's the younger guy. Morales might actually, even though they built differently, Morales has some really deceiving strength. Uh, Morales is going to have to weather an early storm. I think he's going to. And I think he's, once he does, I think he's going to start finding holes in Medish's attack. I think he's not landing the better shots. Uh, I'm going to take Morales, but with like zero confidence. Uh, I'll give you Morales my decision. There you go. Uh, a bit of disagreement, but uh, neither of us super confident in these picks. Just too many unknowns in place. Should be fun. No guarantee it will stay this way, but at least as the card is constituted about a week out from fight night, the opener of the prelims is a heavyweight matchup between Gilton Almeida and Parker Porter. Almeida, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 15-2 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is 1-0 in the UFC since joining out of the 2021 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He made his debut in February, knocking out Danilo Marquez in 2 minutes and 57 seconds at UFC Fight Night, Hermanson versus Strickland. He had been scheduled to take on Maxime Grishin. Uh, this weekend, Grishin pulled out, and rather than find a replacement at light heavyweight, uh, Almeida chose to meet a late-notice replacement at heavyweight. That replacement will be Parker Porter. Porter, the 37-year-old Connecticut native, is 12-6 and six overall. He is 3-1 and one in the UFC. Uh, he joined, uh, lost to fellow debutante Chris Dawkins at UFC 252 all the way back in August of 2020, got knocked out in the first round. Since then, he's come back with three straight wins, all by decision, those coming over Josh Parisian, Chase Sherman, and Alan Baudot. The most recent of those, the Baudot fight, was in February at UFC Fight Night Walker versus Hill. Uh, despite that nice little streak, and despite the fact that his opponent will be moving up in weight to meet him, Porter is, uh, as, of the, as of early odds, the biggest underdog on the card. 
Uh, make sure to go to betmgm.com for the most up-to-date odds. But right now, early lines have Almeida at minus 600, Porter at plus 400 as, again, the substantial underdog. I was thinking about something, Keith, and I'm going to bounce this this off you here. If you took someone who knew nothing about mixed martial arts and you took the top 10 of every division in the UFC, you know, men and women, and you just lined up those top 10 and you asked them, okay, which of these groups of people looks like tough people and the best fighters in the world? They'd pick light heavyweight. And probably at any point in the UFC's history of the last 15 years, they'd pick light heavyweight. (laughs) Except for the champion. Yeah, I mean, maybe except for the champ. And even he looks like like a bouncer or a bodyguard from like an action movie. Just yeah. this kind of grizzled. But I mean, light he heavyweight. He could play like that. He could play like that. Like a movie about mafia members. And, and then you have like the like the foreign drug dealers. And he's like the henchman for the sleazy. Like John Leguizamo is, is the, is, <laughs> is the uh, drug cartel guy. And he's one of the uh, henchmen behind him. Which, yes, which belies the fact that he is the nicest dude in the sport. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but generally speaking, 205, there's not really any, like, out-of-shape-looking dudes. There's not really any, like, short, dumpy guys. Most of them look like superheroes. Um, they're, I mean, the tall guys don't look like weird, like, skinny freaks. Like, it's it's the tough-looking guy division. Even by those standards, Gileton Almeida is a fucking unit. This guy. <laughs> I well, wonder where you're going. Yeah. Well, he's going to be moving up to, to heavyweight, and I'm interested to see what he weighs in at because I think it's going to be that Linton Vassell thing where he's going to show up on the scale, look basically the same, and all of a sudden he weighs 246. Oh, my God. And you're, I've you seen like, Linton Vassell in person since he moved up to heavyweight, and he's the scariest looking dude in the world. And you're, how did this guy ever make 205? Oh my I God. think that's what's going to happen when we see Jalatan Almeida. The thing is, I, I have, you know, I have a lot of faith in him as a prospect at 205. When I say he has top 10 upside. Light heavyweight is so desperate right now that, I mean, two more wins, he's on the cusp of the, the top 15. They're just, they're getting so old. They're all beating up on each other. Other prospects are getting, you know, knocked off in, in weird ways. I mean, you know, people like Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann, Jamal Hill have all kind of like hit bumps on the road. But he has some problems with his game. You know, he fights with a level of abandon that makes me wonder what's going to happen to his gas tank when he can't just run over somebody in three minutes. Uh, While he is a dangerous striker offensively, he's pretty porous defensively, and he charges in pretty heedlessly. I mean, it's just a matter of time before someone rings him up hard. It's kind of like a lesser version of the Johnny Walker thing, where he's so aggressive that somebody who's more disciplined is just going to bust him right in the chops one of these times, like Corey Anderson did to Walker. So there are all these things that, you know, I think about that some, somebody might be able to take advantage of. I just don't know if Parker Porter's the guy to be able to do it. Because uh, Parker Porter, he's not a huge one-shot, like, kill shot artist with his hands or his feet. You know, he punches decently hard. He has very hard leg kicks, but he's not going to knock out Giles and I made him with one leg kick. My, I, I am wondering how easily Almeida will be able to get Porter down if he, if he is at all, because while his record looks like a pretty nice mix of, you know, knockouts and submissions, everything runs off the ground game. You know, a good number of his knockouts happened on the ground and, you know, his best weapon is just taking top position and beating people up until he can find a submission. 
I am interested to see whether he'll be able to take down Parker Porter effortlessly. Porter looks like he should have good takedown defense. I mean, he's built like one of those little inflatable punch dummies you get for kids that have like the sand in the bottom. So you punch them and they bounce back up just the way he's kind of, you know, he's not tall. He's like six feet tall. He's barrel chested and then has these giant legs. He looks like he should, he should be hard to take down, but I just don't have the, the faith in him to be able to take advantage of any of the flaws that Almeida has at this point, or probably even last to the point where we get to see Almeida's gas tank. Uh, you know, I, as much as I'd like to say there's value on Porter as what is now a four to one underdog, I do see Almeida, you know, winging some punches at Porter, maybe taking a few in return, but the minute he doesn't get something he likes, I think he's just going to be able to body lock and trip this man, land in top position, pound on him some, and then, you know, when he turns his back, take his back and choke him out. So give me Jalton Almeida by uh, first round submission. And then the debate afterwards will be, does he try to stick around at heavyweight? Does he decide he doesn't like that huge weight cut? Or is this just a one-off thing? And does he go straight back down? Yeah. So you're talking about how big Almeida is. And obviously he is. But like Parker Porter is, is a massive dude. Uh, I was thinking you talked about his leg kicks and his, his legs. I was like, he's, his thighs are like the biggest things I've seen. Like what is bigger? Like Parker Porter's thighs are like Tisha Torres' waist. Like, I need to know that. Like, that's going to be pretty close. I mean, Tisha, well, she's five foot one and she's very fit. She's probably got like a 20 inch waist. I bet Parker Porter's yeah, legs are like, bigger. I don't know what, you know, obviously I wear like men's jeans, but 26, 24. I mean, I don't know what her, <laughs> like, it's got to be pretty clever. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, her, she'd be bigger than, than 20, but yeah, like, like 22 or 23 inch waist. Like his legs are probably bigger than that. It's probably pretty close. Like I just, he's just what... like, two, he, his, his jeans could just put a Tisha Torres in each leg and just, just do a sack race. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so he, he's a, he's a minus athlete. I mean, we were, we were joking about, uh, heavyweights that could fill in to fight Alexander Gustafson. I mentioned like Paul Bonatello, who's like probably like 50 years old right now. Like if if Parker Porter and Paul Bonatello did like a obstacle course, like I don't know if I'm betting on Parker Porter. Uh, I mean, like the longer the obstacle course, I would, but like a little short one, one that would take maybe like thirty seconds, forty five seconds. I, I I might bet on the headhunter on, on that one. Uh, he's he's very like lumbering, plodding, um, <laughs> early two thousand UFC heavyweight style. Uh, he's slow, but he just makes up for it. By, being a tough dude, he, he walks down his opponents. He's not very technical. His striking is very basic. Throws the same basic combos. Loves his winging overhand right. Um, he has power, but you mentioned that he's not a one punch knock it out kind of guy. But he's got these powerful leg kicks. Tons of defensive flaws though. Lacks head movement. Um, when he does move, I, I mentioned this before, he always kind of dips to the same right side awkwardly. Like he's going to get high kicked in the face. Like a, 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 a prime Marco Krokrop, he would have been the perfect opponent for. He would just dip right into a high kick. Uh, he he just, but he and he also like just walks through shots and just like eat them. But he makes the mistake of also like getting hit with a big shot and then trying to answer with one back, kind of like what I call like Robert Whitakerish. Um, but he's a underrated wrestler like he got takedowns against josh breezing got takedowns against chase sherman got takedowns against alan bordeaux uh, he has three submissions on his record and he's kind of the guy who just like he sticks around like he's losing a fight 
until suddenly like it goes to the scorecard. You're like, damn, did I just give it to Parker Porter? Like, I think he won. And and this just like he's he's not gonna win. Oh, you I know. felt that way in the Sherman and Parisian fights. Yeah. Like you described it like, perfectly. Yeah, like he's losing, losing, and then you're like, yeah, this guy's better than him. But he just won two rounds. And you get, uh and that could happen in this fight. No, I made a He's one of these guys I'm not too concerned moving up to heavyweight because you mentioned he's huge. And, and it's just like his frame. He's these long arms, these long legs. Uh, I think I, I think I have ready as a 79-inch reach, which can translate to, to uh, heavyweight. You mentioned he's not a very technically sound striker. He's just like a buzzsaw, but he has some serious power. And I wonder if he's not cutting weight, how much more power will he have? A lot of kicks, teep kicks, calf kicks. He's a good wrestler, fast entries. Also can get in the clinch, strong takedowns. Uh, I go back to like uh, his fight against, uh, and I might pronounce the name wrong, but Nazaruddinov, I think his name, who's a good like sambo practitioner. And she, he like took him down like three or four times. He's a very high level BJJ grappler. He's been, I, I look at his like record, and he's been competing in high level BJJ tournaments. Has submission wins. Got some great back takes. Um, I, one time I saw him on his back and he got a sweep, which you, which you like. He doesn't just play jujitsu, uh, but that always worries me. The guys who, who's going to play on the back, like he could, I could see Parker Boy just holding him down and, and winning. But when he's on top, like hammering, like vicious ground and pound. So Almeida is really good addition to the UFC heavyweight division uh, or just the UFC in general. While Parker Porter, if we're being honest, he's just a journeyman. Uh, I'm very surprised by the lines just because of Parker Porter being on a three-fight winning streak. I thought it'd be, I, I assumed Almeida would be the favorite, but I was gonna guess like two to one, not six to one. But I see, I've seen Almeida take down better wrestlers than Porter in the past. I see him just bat, like taking Porter down over and over again, batter him with ground and pound. I think Porter eventually makes a mistake, and I think Almeida is actually gonna catch him in submission. Uh, give me Almeida by second round submission. There you go. Two picks for Gilton Almeida to make a successful debut at heavyweight with a submission of Parker Porter. Next up, it is the middleweights as Joseph Holmes and Alan Amadovsky meet in a matchup that, well, if you follow the Shillin and Duffy recap, might have uh, some bearing on the cut list uh, as both of these men are still looking for their first win in the octagon. Holmes, the 26-year-old Texan who goes by Ugly Man, which, by the way, I mean, I'm not the best judge, but he seems like a perfectly handsome dude to me. I, I've never understood that, but uh, whatever. He is 7-2 and two overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he won on the Contender Series, was not immediately signed, so he won one fight in Fury Fighting Championship, then was signed. He debuted in January, losing a unanimous decision to Jamie Pickett at UFC on ESPN, Cater versus Chikadze. He will be welcoming back to the octagon Amadovsky, the 34-year-old uh, Macedonian-born, I believe, lives in Italy and has been training in Sweden. There's, you know, he's uh, been at All Stars Training Center. Uh, there are some pictures of him out there being absolutely dwarfed by Hamzat Shmaev, the welterweight. So, uh, anyway, he is eight and two overall. He is zero and two in the UFC since. Uh, joining as a fairly prominent uh, Bellator middleweight, but he lost back-to-back -back fights to Christoph Yatko and uh, John Phillips. 
that's the bad news. The other bad news is that the most recent of those fights, the Phillips fight, was over two and a half years ago. That was all the way back in September of 2019. So it is back-to-back -back losses and a lengthy layoff for the 34-year-old, uh, again, still looking for his first octagon win. He is not favored to do so. Uh, while you should definitely go to BetMGM and look for the most up-to-date lines, the early lines have Holmes out there at minus 205 or so, Amadovsky around plus 175. Uh, I mean, this seems like a pretty straightforward style matchup to me. Like, Holmes is a willing striker, but he does his best work on the ground, and he wants the fight on the ground. In the Jamie Pickett fight, it, that's what it really boiled down to. He tried repeatedly to get J uh, Jamie Pickett down for the first two rounds, never really could. Third round, he just kind of gave up on the takedown and just got slightly the worse of uh, a kickboxing match. So really the question to me is, can he get Amadovsky down without getting knocked out? Amadovsky to me feels like a throwback. He feels just like a mid-roster guy from like 2005. Like he's just kind of a brawler. Like he hits hard and he comes forward aggressively. And that's basically it. He's a guy that, you know, on a, again, 2005 card, uh, Mike Goldberg would have just said has very heavy hands, like just because it's the only nice thing he can think to say about him. On his way up, fighting lower level competition, he knocked out a bunch of dudes in the first round. Uh, once he ran into stiffer competition, I mean, Christoph Yako made him look silly. And then it's not a good sign when you get plunked by John Phillips, who turned out not to be a UFC level guy in like 17 seconds. Uh, I can't imagine that the time off has made Amadovsky better or seriously diversified his game. I don't care that he's been working out at All-Stars with like, you know, Shamayev and uh, Gustafsson and, and stuff. I, I, it's a camp. It's it's not magic. It's not Hogwarts. Uh, I'm going to guess that Holmes, who, you know, for whatever his faults may be, does have a good chin and is reasonably defensively sound on the feet. He's going to be able to kind of push Amadovsky around. He's going to be way bigger than him. Holmes is a very tall uh, middleweight. He's like 6'3", 6 6'4". 6 uh, I think he's going to be able to uh, hold his own on the feet, get Amadovsky down, and uh, I'm going to say he gets it done. Uh, give me Holmes to pick up a third-round submission on kind of just an exhausted and beaten down Alan Amadovsky. Yeah, the the real question is how many times on the recap show I call Joseph Holmes Joseph Holm because Holly Holm is is well in the as long as you don't call him John Holmes, we'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um so Joseph Holmes taking on Alan Terry Martin Emadowski <laughs> um That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> very heavy handed Terry Martin. <laughs> um yeah. It's, this is a really bad fight. Like even Luigi Fioravanti. Luigi Fioravanti. There you go. That makes the uh, like the Italian connection. Yeah. Or Alessio <laughs> Sakara. Um, so, yeah, this is just this is not a good fight. Like I was watching these guys, and like they they're both not good. Like Holmes, you mentioned he's he's big for the weight class. He's like a bigger guy, which I like. He's long and lengthy. He's young. So that's good. He has like those physical tools going for him. I just, I don't know if he's polished enough for the UFC. I think, I know he got brought up on short notice the last fight. I think he's kind of one of these guys who just right place, right time, maybe. Um, he didn't look good against Jamie Pickett, who is not a very high level UFC fighter. 
Uh, you mentioned his striking. I see his striking is okay at best. He's an out striker, long strikes, uses a lot of feints, which I do like, but a lot of single strikes. Tends to have tall man's defense. He pulls his head straight back. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks in range, which is which is smart. Uh, he loves throwing the high kick. Uh, he wants to get the fight to the ground, but he's not a good wrestler. Like he shoots for takedowns, but um, he couldn't get Jamie Pickett down. Uh, if he gets in the clinch, upper body takedowns from the clinch is what he looks for. Uh, and even though he's a grappler, like. He's not like a wizard. I'd say he's decent on the ground. He's got um, some pretty good back takes. He got those long legs. If you get his hooks in, they're going to be hard to get out. Uh, he does have five submissions on his record, so that's good. Move over to Terry Martin. Um, I mean, <laughs> let's. Who, who knows what we're getting from from him? Considering Terry Martin hasn't been in the UFC in like ten years. No. Um, uh, Amadowski. All jokes. He has been in the UFC for three years. Uh, he's thirty-four years old. I doubt he's getting better at that age. He got knocked up by John Phillips, which is it, it may be better off to get knocked out by Terry Martin right now than it is just getting knocked out to John Phillips. Just like shout out to Terry Martin who's watching our breakdown show right now. Like, what the hell, guys? Like, why are you picking on me? <laughs> what's what's and what's Luigi Ferrante? What's what's what the hell in Italian? <laughs> um that's what we need to know. That should be the title of this one. Whatever what the hell means in Italian. Che Diabolos. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, he's very aggressive. I'll give him that. He presses forward. He throws these looping wild punches. Uh, he drops his hands and, and kind of throws from his hips. He's a for a guy who's sounds like he would be a good wrestler, would you say Alan Amadowski? You just like that that has a wrestling name, like and you're like you're 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 in a wrestling bracket and you look you know, you're in these like one of these national wrestling tournaments, you don't know anybody, and you look up and and Alan Amadovsky from Macedonia. I'm like, oh shit. Oh, I'm, shit. Going a, I'm going for a ride. Yeah. <laughs> um but, but no. no, he's a bad wrestler. Uh, he's, he struggles from the bottom. The one like good thing I've said for him, and this is going back a while, but he fought Yako. He, he at one point he got on top of Yako and landed some pretty good ground upon him. They just got off him for some no reason at all, big uh because he wanted to throw down in the pocket. Uh this fight's terrible. Both guys aren't very good. But I have some like hard rules when it comes. Like I have a few few rules and one of my rules is don't bet on the guy who got knocked out by John Phillips. <laughs> so uh I'm gonna take Holmes too. I'll say Holmes take gets a takedown. I takes his back and submits him and screw it. I'll say Holmes does in the very first round. There you go. Uh two picks for not John, Joseph Holmes, to get it done by submission. Uh, the only difference is what round. We got to think of like, so we got to think of like a grappler from like 2004 who was like an okay grappler, but they would make him sound like he was way better. I mean, I guess Travis Luter would have been the one. Oh, but <laughs> yeah, but like that's too easy. Like, like a Kurt Pellegrino. No, but like, there you go. Kurt, there you go. Kurt Pellegrino versus Terry Martin. Well, we need someone like close to the, to the yeah. weight class. Like David Terrell or something, but David Terrell got that knockout against Matt Lillen, and then I mean, made really, made you're, you're you're you you've described Drew McFedries versus Jordan Radev. There you go, and there you go. McFedries knocked his block halfway back to Bulgaria. There you go. That's that's this fight. Next up, and at least as the card is currently constituted, third from the top at UFC Vegas 55 is a middleweight matchup between uh, one man who's probably overperformed in 
comparison to expectations when he entered the UFC versus one who arguably is underperformed. It is Eric Anders and Junyong Park. Anders, the 35-year-old Alabama native, is 14-6 and six with one no contest overall. He is an even 6-6 six and six with one no contest in the UFC. He is coming off a loss, a first-round armbar uh, at the hands of Andre Muniz last December at UFC 269. Uh, that uh, blunted the momentum of his weird... Uh, one-in-one series with Darren Stewart over uh, the first part of 2021. At any rate, he will be facing Park. The 31-year-old South Korean is 13-5 and five overall. He is 3-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, he dropped his UFC debut to Anthony Hernandez by second-round submission back in August of 2019. From there, uh, rattled off three straight decision wins over Marc-Andre Berrio, John Phillips, and Tafan Nchukwi before running into Gregory Rodriguez last October at UFC Fight Night Costa versus Vittori. Uh, he succumbed to punches in the second round there. So he'll be looking to get things back on track, uh, as will Anders. Odds, at least the early odds, have Park as the substantial favorite to do so. He is minus 200 uh, on the early lines. Anders plus 170. Uh, Keith, you know, as I, as I alluded, Anders never has quite seemed to fulfill the the upside he, he seemed to have when he started in the UFC where, you know, Park, I mean, he's been feasting on low-level guys, but, you know, he's, yeah. he won three straight. Who do you got in this one? Yeah, I think the issue with Anders is, I mean, he's he's a guy that he, he comes in the UFC, he got these high expectations thrown on him, and some guys just can't handle that kind of pressure. I mean, like, if he ever played other sports and was, like, a high-level athlete and ever played at a high-level sport, he'd probably be able to handle the pressure a little bit more. But I don't yeah, think well, Especially Anderson. if he played in a setting where, like, winning was expected every single time out. Yeah. Like, I think like, that would have done him some good. Yeah, if you played, like, say, like, college football for, like, Alabama or something. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, there's no way Eric Anders has done that, right? Like, I don't think anybody ever, anybody ever mentioned him playing for, like, Alabama, right? I think we would have heard that if, if he had. Yeah. You know, that, that's like saying, like, Brian Stam was in the Marines or something. <laughs> you know, like, we would have heard it at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of done with Anders. Uh, he, he just isn't that good. Like, he's 35, as you mentioned. Um, he's not improving. Uh, besides being that good, he can be very boring. Like, a lot of his fights are very slow-paced. Uh, he's a southpaw. He's kind of plotting, kind of kind of a slow striker. Like, he's not the athlete that they'll talk about. They're going to make him sound like he's explosive, you know, outside linebacker, University of Alabama. It's like, yeah, when he was, what, 21? He's 35 yeah. now. Like, that explosion is not there. There's not much variety in his strikes. It's some of the same old, like, overhand left, overhand left, over and over again. Uh, he's got good but not great power. They're going to make it sound like if he touches you, it's automatic. You're in dust, and it's not really the case. Um, he's he's a decent grappler, though. I actually think he, he might be a little underrated grappler. Uh, he might actually, I actually think he's a better grappler than he is a striker, uh, though Though he was quickly submitted by Andre Munez in his last fight. But, like, Muniz does that to everybody. Like, I'm, I'm giving a pass on that. Muniz is legit. Um, uh, one thing that Gan, uh, Anders has done in the past, he has kind of gassed out, uh, looked like he's 
in the past. That's not really the case anymore. Like he, he doesn't seem he seems to pace himself. He also fights at extremely slow pace, so that might be why. Uh, but he's been hurt a lot. Like I go back to some of his fights, uh, not necessarily knocked out, but like like Joe Mercer had hurt him. Uh, uh, obviously, Tiago Santos knocked him out. Uh, Khalil Raunchy like butchered him for their fight. So uh, based on that age and all that damage, like I wouldn't be surprised if the bottom just drops out of him now. Move on to Park. Park's a pocket boxer, bit of a counter striker, throws really short, tight combos. He's he's very good at beating his opponent to the punch. Uh, he can uh, throw a lot of calf kicks from the outside. He's a he's also a very underrated grappler. You go back to like his Tefan Shukwe fight. He was getting like takedown and takedown. I mean, they really put on a clinic against and Shukwe in the wrestling. Smothering top control, good ground and pound. What I like about his ground and pound is he makes sure he secures a position. He makes sure he has his opponent really secure before he starts looking to do damage. The one thing I'm worried about him is, is his chin. He was knocked out by Gregor Rodriguez in his last fight, and Gregor Rodriguez is one of those guys who does have the huge power. He, Rodriguez has the power that they pretend Andrews has. It just <laughs> isn't there. Uh, as far as prediction, this is one of the fights that, um, yeah, you're doing film study. You, you can't do film study in every fight. Like, it just one of the ones. And it, it, this has nothing to do with Park. It has to do more with Anders. You know, you pick and choose the fights you want to do to film study, and then I try to get as much as I can in a week, and you just run out. And uh, Anders was one of the ones I'm like, eh, I'm not doing it. Uh, I'm picking Park. I think I think Park is too fast for Anders. I think he will get the better of the striking exchanges. He really must avoid the clinch and make sure Anders just doesn't overpower him and kind of force him against the clinch and kind of slow down the pace. However, he should be able to dr- drop onto one of those big left hands that Anderson, I can see him dropping on and getting a takedown. Uh, I think we'll have some back and forth exchanges, but eventually I think Park picks up a decision one. I'm with you here, and I think I may even have less faith in the 2022 version of Eric Anders than, than you do. Uh, I agree that he's solved his early gas tank problems just by basically tuning, like toning down his pace to to suit his gas tank, but you know, that's made like a lot of his vices bad win or lose. And, you know, it's caused him to just, you know, lose some fights because he wasn't active enough. It was weird that he and Stewart decided to meet at light heavyweight in their second meeting. That sounds to me like a guy that's tired of making 185. Uh, yeah. And I agree with you. And, you know, we, we've kind of talked about this thing a few times where people like, yeah, Ovin St. Prue and, uh, Eric Anders, you know, they played division one football and by some definition, they are, they are a level athletes. They are guys that at the very least, you know, they could have like signed on with some NFL team as an undrafted free agent and stuck around on a roster for a, a couple of years. But the things that make you a great linebacker are not the same things that make you a, a great fighter, even physically. Like, you know, what are the things they test at the NFL combine? You know, it's like straight line speed. It's the kind of agility that has you change direction after like sidestepping, 10 yards as fast as you can go. It's bench pressing 225 pounds as many times as you can. None of these things really translate to punching and kicking other people. Like they are a level athletes by not necessarily the same. Are you standard. trying to tell me that a guy having a good time at three cone drill doesn't make him a like spectacular MMA fighter. Yeah. I, it, it's, it says nothing about his hand speed. It says nothing even really about his functional foot speed in a cage. Like, yeah, like I, I know you're, you're, you're like you're trying to tell me that 
<laughs> when they when they jump and they hit like all oh, those I don't know they look like rulers on a stick up in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> the, the high jump. You're telling me the high yeah. jump, the vertical jump, doesn't make someone a high level striker? Clearly not, because otherwise Kevin Randleman would have been undefeated. <laughs> like we, we, you could see that dude jump, and like his wrestling shoes would clear the top of the octagon. It was ridiculous. So yeah, I mean they they're both outstanding athletes by a particular standard, but yeah, it's it's not made them necessarily quick strike knockout artists because that's not what makes a quick strike knockout artist in in MMA. Uh, you know, like really what what did it for OSP while it lasted was head kicks. I assure you that that wasn't at the at the NFL combine. Like <laughs> uh <clears throat> and I'm I'm if Park wins this one, it will actually be his best UFC win. Like the three guys he's beaten so like he beat on that on that win streak are, you know, no bueno. Uh, whereas Anders is still kind of a tough out, but I'm with you. I, I think Park is probably going to be able to get this fight to the ground. I think he'll have surprising amounts of success while they're on the feeds. And if it goes to the third round, which it very likely will, these, uh, I think Park will be the fresher guy in, in the third round of the two of them. He's probably a little bit smaller. He's the one that's never even like flirted with fighting at light heavyweight. He's younger. He's more active. Uh, give me Jun Young Park by decision as well, but I wouldn't even be surprised if he gets some sort of third round stoppage just by attrition, damage, exhaustion. But uh, I'm going for Park by decision as well. We head now to the strawweight division for a matchup between Poliana Viana and Tabitha Ricci. Viana, the 29-year-old Brazilian, is 12 and four overall. She is three and three in the UFC. Uh, won her debut, then lost three in a row, but has bounced back since then with back-to-back -back submission wins over Emily Whitmire and Mallory Martin. The most recent of those, the Martin win, uh, first-round armbar at UFC 258 back in February of 2021. She will be taking on Ricci. Uh, the 27-year-old Brazilian is 6-1 and one overall. She is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Lost her debut, uh, but it was at uh, flyweight. It was against Manon Furo that she even lasted to the second round. And yeah, frankly, it's a feather in the cap. Came back uh, from that with a, a unanimous decision win over Maria Oliveira at UFC Fight Night, Costa versus Vittori last October. So... Two women who were 500 in the UFC, one of one or the other will, you know, all of a sudden have a winning record. Uh, it should be an interesting contrast between uh, Viana, one of the tallest strawweights in the division, Ricci, one of the shortest. I would tell you that, you know, size doesn't matter, but Ricci would not agree with me. Uh, the odds, Ricci's actually the slight favorite, so the bookmakers appear to agree with her. Uh, she is uh, minus 150 on the early lines. Viana plus 130 or so. So, uh, Keith, Ricci, she's a slight favorite, has a big test in front of her. She likes big tests. Uh, who wins this one? Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a tough call because they're not the highest level fighters. And, you know, though, though you might not be gifted, you know, God might not gift you something that they don't have the natural talent or ability. Sometimes you can do a lot with the little things you have. Yeah. So, um, Viana, she's one of the worst strikers in the division. And she has no power because she throws all arm punches. She tends to pull her head straight back to avoid strikes. She throws, uh, 
She throws kicks a lot, but I think they're just like just trying to stay busy, you know, and she kind of opened the counters. Um, she doesn't really check leg kicks. She keeps her chin high in the air. And her wrestling, like, it's bad. Like, she wants to get the fight to the ground, but she's not a good wrestler. She just kind of just dives into her shots. She'll even pull guard to get the fight to the canvas. Um, and she's a serious threat on the ground, though. Like, when she gets in the fight on the ground, she's a former world champion in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, though she was submitted by Veronica Moseda, which is surprising. But she showed in her last two fights that you got to be aware at all times that she submitted Emily Whitmire, she submitted Mallory Martin. Um, she can catch a submission in a scramble. She can catch a submission off her back. Uh, she's always l- looking to sweep to get back to her feet, which I like. Um, and if she's on top, she has some good ground and pound. Now, Richie is is she's really small for the weight class. I mean, she's only five one. Um, she's a striker who could fight out of both stances. She's a bit of a boxer, uh, a little bit of a pocket boxer who tends to fight in spurts. Uh, she loves her overhand right. She looks for it way too much. Uh, defensively, she rolls with the punches, which you know I'm not a fan of, like the boxing rolls. Uh, but she's also a good grappler. She's a judo black belt. Uh, she likes takedowns from the clinch. Uh, she will shoot some outside entries, but without any setups. And she does have two submission wins on the, uh, on the ground. Now, I think this could be a really good grappling battle. I'm leaning Richie though. I think she's the better wrestler, so I expect her to her to be on top in the fight. Um, I think she's going to avoid all the sub attacks from Viana. Uh, she's going to have to, and I think she's gonna. So give me Richie in a really close uh, battle. Right. Sorry, I was just changing Richie's uh, nickname from Baby Shark to Large Shark in the Fight Finder. Uh, I agree with your breakdown of the X's and O's here. <laughs> I, I love, I love how you keep throwing all these jokes. Out. I, like, I hope the, I, I hope the listeners get what you're saying because uh, it really messed me up. I don't know what the hell I started what I was talking about. <laughs> I was trying to get a reference in there, but I wasn't prepared like you were. Uh, I agree with you that Viana is one of the worst strikers in the division. Like, really? Her striking reminds me of Mackenzie Dern's, except that Dern really wants to hit hard, so she's, like, overthrowing, like, arm punches and stuff, and Viana's, it's more like the, well, I'm throwing these punches and kicks out just because I know I'm supposed to. Like, that's that's Viana's striking to me. And for as good as she is on the ground, you kind of, you talked right up to the point I wanted to make where it's going to be hard to pick somebody whose best avenues to victory are on the ground, but doesn't have a clear way to get it there in, in, in Viana. Having said that, I mean, if she has a chance against anyone, it's going to be someone like Richie who is much, much smaller than she is, is going to give up a ton of reach. And while Richie hits hard, almost nobody at 115 has just flatline knockout power. So even if Richie touches her up a, a bit, like Viana really just needs to get this to the ground once uh she's shown that she is equally dangerous uh, off her back as uh in top position just i can't pick it either like i i really want to visualize the way that you know viana maybe gets outstruck for a round and a half or maybe two full rounds and just you know gets one ugly trip takedown against the fence and 30 seconds later this thing is over but i think that's the outside chance i think what's more likely is that uh tabitha adult shark Ricci just you know outstrikes her for three rounds it probably won't be pretty like we're gonna see some ugly takedown attempt from the outside by viana uh you know we'll probably see some clinch exchanges where 
Richie's just shucking the much taller woman off of her and and returning to kind of that middle distance. But give me the Tabitha Ricci by decision in this one. We head now to the middleweight division for a matchup between Chidi and Jokowani and Dusko Todorovic. And Jokowani, the 33-year-old uh, Nigerian American, is 21 and seven with one no contest overall. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC as uh, a longtime Bellator roster member and then a veteran of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. It took him uh, over a decade to get to the UFC. It took him less than 20 seconds to pick up his first win there as he debuted in February at UFC Fight Night Hermanson versus Strickland and knocked out Marc-Andre Berrio in just 16 seconds. Uh on the back of that sensational debut, he gets to meet, well, he gets a, an upgrade in opponent and gets to meet Dusko Todorovic. The 27-year-old Serbian is 11-2 overall. He is 2-2 two two since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. He won his last time out. It was uh, last December at UFC on ESPN Font versus Aldo, where he knocked out Maki Patolo late in the first round. That turned things around for him after back-to-back -back losses to Puna Hele Soriano and Gregory Rodriguez. The odds on this one, Njokawani, a moderate favorite in the in the early lines. He's minus 175, Todorovic plus 150. Uh, Keith, I mean, Chidi Njokawani is a guy that I assumed we would never see in the UFC. Uh, <laughs> Don't do it, Ben. I, I mean, he, dude, he left Bellator he lost three of his last four. Yeah. Didn't look great in them. One, you know, one fight in LFA. Then he's on the contender series, smashed a dude. He's in the UFC, destroyed Marc-Andre Barrio. I mean, he's 33. He's in the UFC now. He's got the highlight win. Like, is there is there like some actual upside and potential for a run here? And who do you see winning between him and Todorovic? Um, dude, it's so funny. <laughs> so you, you, you didn't do it like the UFC, uh, has been doing it, but like they're making Chidi and Jukawani sound like that he was some fighter that the fans were just dying to make in the UFC. Like, like you're in the sure dog forums and someone asks like, who's the best fighters to never fight in the UFC? Or who's the fighters you wish for in the UFC? And people are like, Fedor Emelianenko, Bibiano Fernandez, Ricardo Arona. Chidi and Jukawani. <laughs> I mean, no. where the hell did Chidi and Jukawani become no, some world dude, beat? <laughs> I mean, he's he's the other in Jukawani brother. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? He might not be anymore. He really might not be. Uh, I, but I mean, just like in yeah, in the I, mental, yeah. But yeah, he he always was the other in Jukawani brother. Sure. Um, I mean, he, he's he's got some. Obviously, I'm just joking on that. Like the narrative that was going on about like ten years in the making, like. Really? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's got some skills. I mean, he's a long and lengthy fighter. He's got like an 80 inch reach. Uh, reach Can you believe which... he used to fight at welterweight? Yeah, it's insane. That's ridiculous. Anyway, go ahead. Um, he's a he's a very good kickboxer. He's very composed. Uh, he does what kickboxers do. He stands up too tall for my liking. Uh, but I love some of the, the way he cuts angles. He's one of these guys who switches uh, stance mid attack. Uh, some of th we saw the best of him though in his debut. Like that's what he can do when he is on. But there's also times we've seen him just be completely gun shy, scared to pull the trigger. Um, but when he lands, he's got the power. We saw a uh, good clinch fighter when he gets inside. Um, he can sneak in a takedown. He's not 
not completely one dimensional, but I would, I, I think I'm not calling him a wrestler. Uh, he did show that he could win a, a grappling battle on the contender series against Mario Souza. He landed some good ground and pound in that. But historically speaking, he's been a weak defensive wrestler. They'll say he's a BJJ black belt, and I guess, I guess he did out grapple Mario Souza, but he is not a submission threat. He like he's not going to catch him as submission. Uh, Todorovic, Southpaw, who is pretty well rounded, um, but he really hasn't lived up to the potential I thought he had in contender series. Actually, one of the guys I was pretty high on. Some of the things I like: stiff jab, works the body, plus power, has some pretty good movement, slip and rip. He really depends on it because he stands up too high. He keeps his hands low. Um, I mean, Puno Soriano knocked him out because because of it. Uh, but he's a good wrestler. We need to see that more of him wrestling. He's he's great in the clinch. When he initiates the clinch, he's busy in the offense. Uh, he can grind out a decision, but he's also a great wrestler. Drives through hips, uh, good trips, good throws, really good top control, really good ground and pound, constantly looking to advance position. And he's got three submission wins. So that's the things I like about him. But he's been a little chinny in the UFC, uh, a little gun shy. His defense has like, been out the window. So this fight really aggravates me because I feel like this is a very fa- I feel like this is a very favorable matchup for Todor to Todorovic. Like I see a like golden opportunity for him to win. If he turns into a wrestling match, he should have such an advantage. However, I can't trust him. I think he stands up with Shitty too much, and I think it's a I like my mind is saying he's going to get knocked out. But the wrestling advantage is there. I can't ignore it. I really want to be right about this guy because I, I was one of the like flag bearers for him coming off the contender series. So I want to say he kind of gets his head out of his ass for this fight. He, he sees that like it, there's enough film on 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 Chidi to not make me think that suddenly he's some great grappler. Give me Tadoris to out wrestle him and win a decision. There, this really is a kind of two true outcomes fight because I, I had the very same thought as you where this fight is there for the taking for Todorovic if he pushes the issue with the wrestling and does it early because the thing is even like if he goes for a takedown within the first 30 seconds of this fight even if he doesn't get that one it's going to turn into one of those fights where in Jokowani starts throwing like four strikes around you know we, we've all seen it like in, in Bellator his fight with Melvin Gillard was one of the most miserable things you know uh and, you know, he's he's had a couple highlight reel finishes recently, but you're right. He, he's the guy who can be just bizarrely gun shy at times. He is one of the best kickboxers in the UFC. He's like he never stopped taking Muay Thai bouts. So, you know, you look at his you, uh, his sorry, his, his MMA record and just know that he has dozens and dozens of Muay Thai matches as well. Like he's never stopped doing it. He's not one of those people that, you know, had some had a kickboxing career, then switched over to MMA and just, you know, changed tracks and stayed with it he he has stayed active as a kickboxer very you know very good for all the reasons keith mentioned and i'm i'm with you like i'm not even sure in jokowani should be the favorite here like if i had if i had faith that todorovich was going to fight to his own best advantage i think this should be about to pick him because it just comes down to whether he'd be able to do it but i'm with you you know todorovich like enjoys his own striking a little too much. He has been shown to be a little chinny. Punahele Soriano, like, he hits like a truck, but his striking offense is far less diverse than Njokawani's. And he is dangerous from a lot fewer ranges than Njokawani is. 
like if Todorovic like commits that kind of defensive lapse anywhere within about five feet of Njokawani, he's going to sleep. And that's going to be my pick. Give me uh, Chidi Njokawani to get a first round knockout here. And the hype train is going to start cranking over time. It's probably not justified. I think Njokawani's upside is kind of limited. He is what he is as a fighter and he's already, you know, pushing into his mid thirties, but it is going to be a hell of a lot of fun while it lasts. And matchmaking this dude on Saturday night, if I'm right, is going to be a whole lot of fun. That brings us to what, at least currently, is listed as the co-main event of UFC Vegas 55, a welterweight matchup between Santiago Ponzanibio and Michelle Pereira. Ponzanibio, the 35-year-old Argentinian, is 28-5 overall. He is 10-4 in the UFC. Uh, notably, he is 1-2 since returning from a... Uh, almost two and a half year layoff due to a variety of injuries and illnesses. Uh, he had left the UFC on a seven fight win streak that had vaulted him into the fringes of the top 10, then disappeared from November 2018 till January 2021. Since returning, he has lost to Li Jingliang, defeated Miguel Baeza, and lost to Jeff Neal. The most recent of those, the uh, Neal loss, was last December at UFC 269. Uh, he'll be taking on Pereira, a man whose essentially entire UFC career happened while the man was away. Uh, 28-year-old Brazilian is 27 and 11 with two no contests overall. He is five and two in the UFC. Uh, he is currently on a four-fight win streak. Those being over Zalim Amadaev, Kalen Williams, Nico Price, and Andre Fialho. The most recent of those, the Fialho win by unanimous decision at UFC 270 in January. Uh, odds on this one, again, these are early lines. Make sure to go to BetMGM for the most up-to-date lines when you're watching this show. But as of a week and change out from fight night, this one's as close to a pick'em as we have on the card. Ponzinibbio, just a very slight favorite at minus 120. Pereira, available at even money, plus 100. Uh, again, just on the early lines. Keith, uh, two interesting guys here. I mean... Ponzinibbio, a guy who looked to be just blazing a trail to at least the welterweight title picture, and he combined that uh, that elusive quality that you and I have talked about a few times, the combination of beating high-level fighters and just being an absolute savage every time out and having, like, finishes and exciting fights, then disappeared for a couple of years and has, frankly, not been the same guy since. He's got to prove that he's still a factor here, and he's going to have to do it against Pereira, who, to me, is kind of the opposite. I figured the Pereira joke wasn't going to last very long in the UFC, especially after those back-to-back -back losses to Tristan Connolly and Diego Sanchez. But since then, he's beaten four straight guys, and they've been good guys. Like, if the way to get into the top 10 in the UFC welterweight division is to beat the guys in the 11 through 20, Imadaev, Chaos Williams, Nico Price, and Andre Fialio, all might all four of them be in that category. And, and he's beaten them all. Like, all of a sudden, I'm looking at this guy a little differently. I mean, he came to the UFC. He already had nine losses. And, you know, some of the losses were to people whose names you know. He got busted up by Dusko Todorovic, you know, yeah. shortly before he joined the UFC. And he was so wild. I mean, he made Johnny Walker look like, you know, John Jones, like first round John Jones. <laughs> just, you know, yeah, yeah, like just, you know, wild man. In his first couple fights, like he beat Danny Roberts in his first fight, which I mean, he was throwing like Showtime 
uh, punches off the cage like most fighters throw a jab, doing capoeira stuff, breakdancing his way out to the cage. And then, but now I look at it, you know what? He lost two straight fights, but he lost to Tristan Connolly because he gassed out in a fight where he was beating him bad. And then he lost to Diego Sanchez because he committed a stupid foul in a fight where he was beating him bad. Yeah. Like a little smarter version of Michelle Pereira is 7-0 in the UFC right now. And all of a sudden he's fighting a little smarter. Yeah. Like, you know, I know they booked him against people like Chaos Williams and Nico Price because they were like, oh, we're going to smash these two guys together and just something crazy has got to happen. And nothing crazy has happened. All that's happened is he's shown himself to manage his gas tank. Uh, he's won fairly straightforward kickboxing matches against good kickboxers. Oh, and by the way, he's flexed a wrestling game that we never knew he had. Like, you assume he would be able to wrestle because he's an absolute specimen at 170. I mean, he is big and he is so muscular. But all, all of a sudden, he's suplexing Kalen Williams. Like, he's getting effortless takedowns on, on Nico Price. Like, this guy, he's still just 28 years old. And he's kind of starting to look like a problem for the division. And he's taking out a guy in Ponzinibbio that not only, you know, like, he got blasted by Li Jingliang. That's a tough ask to come back and take on a hard-hitting borderline top 15 guy in your first fight back from, like, your deathbed. The Miguel Baeza win has not aged well. Nope. And the Jeff Neal loss, I mean, that was... It's a good loss, except that's also the fight where Jeff Neal got, like, pulled over for being drunk and having a weapon in his car, like... 11 days before the fight. And we were all wondering if he was going to make weight, if he was going to be in jail, if you like all, all that, like, like Jeff Neal is a very good fighter, but even that one is kind of like, Oh man, that was your chance Ponzi to like step up and make a statement. And Neil was fine. Just this is two guys <laughs> well, on. Do you want to be the guy who drives around with a gun in his car? <laughs> you might want to let that guy win. <laughs> Oh, man. It's it's hard for me to picture a matchup between two guys on more opposite trajectories that the UFC could actually make the matchup and, you know, and, and have it make sense. Uh, but, yeah, I think this is uh, this is bad news for Ponzinibbio because Pereira still has a ton of power and still throws with knockout power, like a variety of strikes from a variety of angles. If Ponzinibbio comes out and starts cold, because, I mean, he used to be a fast starter, and now he's kind of a cold starter. He could get starched in the first round like Lee did to him. If this turns into more of a war of attrition like he had with Baeza, I think that favors Pereira. He's bigger. His gas tank is not a problem. He can wrestle Ponzinibbio. Like, and if it's late and they're both tired, like he'll probably get easy takedowns on him. Like, it's hard for me to picture the way that Ponzinibbio wins this without either something lucky happening, which, I mean, you can't really account for that, or Pereira doing something really stupid, which... He just doesn't really do anymore. Give me Michelle Pereira by second round uh, TKO. It's going to be sad if you're like used to love watching Ponzinibbio fight, but this is just going to be kind of one more nail in the coffin and one more uh, bit of evidence that maybe Ponzinibbio is in serious decline since coming back from uh, that two-year layoff. Yeah, so he lost a good guy, Ponzinibbio, so it, it, it's tough to really get a grasp on him but i think i think you're saying a lot of things are true this this is the fight if he loses this fight then kind of put him to the side a little bit he would just kind of be a card filler at that point uh this is really the fight that i'm looking forward to on the entire card because of all the things you're saying like do we find out if Paya is for real do we find out if Ponsignor is 
you know, still in the mix. Like, what is it? Now, Ponzinibbio, he's a good striker. He's a very smart fighter. Like, he's got really good footwork. He understands range well. He uses feints to set up his shots. Uh, I go back to, I think it was the Mike Perry fight. I go all the way back. I, I put this in my notes, Ponzinibbio, I've never taken out. Uh, I like when Daniel Cormier was pointing out, like, him winning foot battle. I think it was Mike Perry. He was winning a foot battle with Mike Perry. He was just lining up his right hand but just by getting on the inside of the foot battle, which is not which is something that he just little details that he picks up pretty explosive fast throws combinations everything comes off his jab his his hook is kind of like his money strike he's got plus power beautiful calf kicks he's he's an okay wrestler he can sneak in the takedown uh though he doesn't really wrestle that much uh good cardio he won't really slow down like that's he's still pressing hard deep into the fight and he's mentally strong like he, like, he won't crumble in there's a fight like you know a fight that's a war like he he's shown his ability to like survive that but these are like everything i said about him is like good ponzinibbio like he knocked out miguel Baeza, but he was losing that fight uh or like you know i had to kind of make a comeback in that fight so that's a little disturbing uh michelle Pam, like he's such a big welterweight. the guy looks like a light heavyweight he, i mean he's he's massive He's got those long arms with long legs. He's arguably the best athlete in the UFC. <laughs> like, he's fast. He's so explosive. He's constantly moving forward. He cuts the cage off well. He throws out feints to kind of set up his power shots. You mentioned, like, the run he's on and beating good guys. I go back to, like, the Emadaya fight. He showed that he can win an outside striking battle against a good striker in Emadaya. Um, he attacks the body. He'll throw. I, I love. The, I mentioned this before in the notes form. He'll throw flying knees, both offensively and defensively. Like he'll stop takedowns by just the threat of like quickly throwing his legs up. Uh, he uses it. He uses it to close the distance or just kind of stop his opponent's attacks. You know, I love his step in knees, great kicks, uh, oblique kicks, deep kicks, and you mentioned like suddenly he has this wrestling background. Like if you told me Michelle Pahea was a, going back like three or four fights ago, and you said Michelle Pahea was a wrestler. I would thought you were talk, talking about, like, WF wrestling. Like, <laughs> like all the moonsaults and all the shit he's doing. Like, let's put a, like is, is is it possible Michelle Pahea, if you put a mask on him, he's like, you have Ray Mysterio Jr.? Is he, is he like Ray Mysterio Sr.? Is, is, is <laughs> like, we don't, because, like, like, if Ray Mysterio's next, I, I don't know, is, I don't know, does he still wrestle? I have no idea, but it, if Michelle yeah, could, he's, like, got, he could, he's pushing 50. He probably wrestles okay. like in some right. small organization. All right. I didn't realize he's that old. Okay. But like Michelle Pahea, like that could be his tag team partner. Just run out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, like go back, uh, Dos Casares, uh, uh, style. Let, let Michelle Pahea wear, wear, uh, Lucia Libre mask. Like everything we say about Michelle Pahea, like, yeah, he can wrestle now. He beat Chaos Williams wrestling. You mentioned like he's, he suplexed Chaos Williams. He also suplexed Diego Sanchez. Uh, his cardio has come a long way, and and why is his cardio? Why is he showing signs that he, he's got cardio? Yeah, because he's not doing all that crazy stuff. But you know what? I hate that he stopped doing that. Because <laughs> yeah, like, is he a much better fighter? Yeah, he's way better fighter. But like, we have a whole bunch of good fighters. Like, let's have the guy who's gonna like go like full break dancing in a match, or some guy like like I want him to like somehow like go to full WWF where he like. Tries throwing the opponent outside the ring and like jumps off like the barrier in front of the like the fans, you know, right like, on the scorer's table. Yeah, like, they like, always go through one of the tables. Yeah, yeah. Like I want that. Like screw it. <laughs> uh, like I don't want another like good fighter in the division. Um, 
as, as, as far as prediction goes, Fontino is still the more technically sound fighter. Uh, he definitely has the more experience. He's 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 definitely a smarter fighter. And Payo's taken a big step up in competition. Like I, I know he's beaten good guys. You mentioned like the Andre Fialo, Fialo fight uh, has has really really aged well. Like that looks yeah. really good. Uh, Chaos Williams is a good win. Um, I can't remember who else you said, but the, like he's Nico, had a, Nico Price, who's Nico still Price. Yeah, like he's, yeah, he's had a good run. He's had a good run. But it's, this is still a step up for him, and it's a little bit of a gut call. I I thought I was going to be the one to kind of go with the upset. Uh, I've always been on the Michelle Bahamut train. Like when people were jumping off, I I was I was the guy saying like, yeah, he was fooling around in the in the conflict. Like like yeah, he also like ten eight in the first round and. Diego Sanchez, like, come on, Diego was asking the referee, "Do I win if I if the fight ends? Do I win?" Like, um, give me Pahea, give me him to get some takedowns, do some fun shit. Give me Pahea by uh, I'll see split decision. There you go, two picks for the slight upset in Michelle Pereira in the co-main event. That brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night Two Hundred Six. A bantamweight matchup between former champ Holly Holm and rising contender Caitlin Vieira. Holm, the 40-year-old uh, Albuquerque native, is 14 and 5 overall. She is 7 and 5 in the UFC. It is worth noting that she is 6 and 3 at bantamweight in the UFC, uh, having lost only to uh, Misha Tate, Valentina Shevchenko, and Amanda Nunes. She is on a two-fight winning streak right now. Both of them are unanimous decision wins uh, over Raquel Pennington and Irene Aldana. That is the good news. The bad news is that the most recent of those, the Aldana fight, was in October of 2020. So it is about a year and a half layoff uh, for the preacher's daughter. Welcoming her back will be Vieira. The 30-year-old Brazilian is 12-2 and overall. She is 6-2 and uh, in the UFC. She won her last uh, timeout. It was in November of last year in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 198, where she won a unanimous decision over uh, former champ Misha Tate. Prior to that, last February, she dropped a unanimous decision to Yana Konitskaya at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis. Uh, early odds on this one. Obviously, uh, go over to BetMGM for the latest odds when you're watching this. But as of right now, about a week out from Fight Night, Holm is a comfortable favorite. She's minus 220, Vieta plus 185. Keith, a lot of faith out there for a 40-year-old woman who hasn't fought in uh, like 19 months. Uh, is it a vote of confidence in Holm? Is it a vote of no confidence in Vieta? Who do you have in this one? Yeah, it's it's funny. Well, two things that jump up to me. I, I didn't realize she was out that long. Like, I knew she... If you told me Holly Holm fought six months ago, I would have believed you. Uh, I didn't, didn't really choose that that long. Uh, 40 years old actually surprised me, too. If you if you asked me, like, obviously, I know that because I, I did the tape study and, and I looked these things up. But if you asked me, like, how old Holly Holm was, I would have guessed, like, oh, she's probably up there. She's probably, like, 35 to 36. Yeah, 40 is really surprising. I mean, it's like, holy crap. Uh, the thing about Holly Holm, from, and this obviously is judging of what we last saw her. Like, I can't predict if how much better she's got but obviously you're 40 that's that's getting uh concerning 
and I say this all the time, like when you the higher you get up in age, the more likely suddenly just everything collapses. It's it's gonna happen. Um but Holly Holm is a great athlete. She really is. Like uh she's got tons of high level experience. She looked so good in her last fight. She's a southpaw who's long and lengthy, better than she's an outboxer with some of the best footwork in, in not just women's MMA, but entire uh MMA. I mean Obviously, it's a, it's a really long time ago, but like the perfect example of it is the Ronda Rousey fight where she's just out of the way of every strike with her footwork. Uh, she's a counter striker. She's high volume, even if that even if that means she's striking from miles away from her opponent. Uh, she's she's staying busy. Uh, her straight straight punches down the pipe. Her left hand is is really accurate. Uh, she does lack power though. Like she's a bit of a just a point fighter. Like she's gonna win. Um, you know, a striking battle from just outside. A lot of kicks, though. Uh, I like. I always name one of her kicks out. Like, anytime someone does like a side kick, I always call it the Holly Holm side kick. She does so much. She's really good at keeping her distance with that, and that's where she wants to fight at distance. One of the very best high kicks in the game. Uh, she throws one. She throws a super fast. She also throws it a lot more often now. Um, she has a lot of confidence in her high kick. Um, she's an underrated grappler really is like i think she's a much better grappler like a lot of people remember like, when she got submitted by misha Tate. that was a long time ago um mm-hmm. and she was you know still kind of learning the game then and i'd obviously always learning but i mean like she was just in, like invited to mma back then like now she's really adding seasoning to her game um you go she can grind in the clinch, something she does really well. I mean, you go back to like Raquel Pennington. She was winning clinch battles with Raquel Pennington, which not many people could say they do that. Uh, she can grind in the clinch. Good body lock takedowns. She will shoot for a takedown. Like a perfect example of that is her last fight against Irene O'Donnell. Like she destroyed Irene O'Donnell with her wrestling. Good top control. Um, some she showed in that fight some really good ground and pound. And she has the cardio to go all five rounds and not slow down. Uh, the one negative on the ground is she's not a submission threat. Like she, she doesn't have a single. I don't. I don't think she has a single submission win on her on her record. Now, nope. move over to Kelly Vieira. Vieira is just a big, physically strong woman. I mean, she, you see her; she's imposing. Um, she got long arms. She's a counter striker, boxing style, busy jab. Tend to like throw the up jab. Um, she tend, also throw, tends to throw from her hips. A lot of like looping. Shots, very like Fedor and Melnyenko style, where they kind of come from weird angles. Um, but she tends to lack hand speed. That's like, think about Fedor, Phil through these looping style. He also had blazing fast hands. Uh, Caitlin Vera is not the case. Uh, does like like knockout power. Even though she's still big, she does like lack knockout power. She has some defensive flaws. She pulls her head straight back. Uh, is the biggest thing, but. In close is where she really excels. She's got some really good in close quarter striking. Uh, I go back to like the Cat Singano fight, which I know that was a really long time ago, but she butchered Cat Singano in the clinch. She's a very good grappler. She's got some good takedowns. She's a black belt in both judo and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, she threw Sarah McMahon Olympic silver medals on her head. <laughs> so that tells you about how good her takedowns is. Um, she out grappled in some really good grapplers. I, I mentioned Sarah McMahon. Sajara Eubanks, Kat Singano, Yana Kuniskaya, like those are some good she's got some good grappling chops. So as far as the fight goes and a prediction, uh this is a 
This is an intriguing fight. I, I'm reading, I'm looking at my notes. I wrote fun fight. Then I'm like, no, it's not a fun fight, but yeah. it's intriguing. It's, it, um, but I'm taking home. Uh, yeah, being that she's 40, being that I was surprised by her age, not now, but like this week, how old she was, that that gave me a little, little bit to pause. But my last memory of Holly Holm was an absolute brilliant performance and one of the best performances of her career. Uh, she looked amazing against Aldana. She was fast. She was accurate. She had high output. Um, she's going to have to stay on her bike. She's going to have to use a lot of footwork. She's going to have to avoid the clinch at all costs, which is surprising because she's showed such a willingness to grapple lately. But move, stick and move, beat her with volume, and, and just win a point kickboxing. And it's kind of like the, the MMA gods, like we got Caitlin Jakagan and Holly Holm in back-to-back weeks. Um, just for the record, the, the Caitlin Jakagan fight hasn't happened yet. We're actually recording this before that. So if that's like an all-time war, ignore what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but as far as this fight, uh, I think – Holly Holm is going to do the same strategy that I predicted Caitlin Chikagan did. I don't know if she does it, but what I predicted Caitlin Chikagan did, stick and move and, and ride yourself to a victory. Give me uh, going all 25 minutes, Holly Holm, by decision. Uh, I, I, I love a lot of what you laid out here. Like, Holly Holm's path as a mixed martial artist has been so strange and unexpected. I mean, she came over as a, a champion-level boxer you know, and kind of a late starter. Like she was 29 or 30, like by the time of her debut. And she was like 32 by the time she was in the UFC. Like I would never have really pegged her as someone who would become one of the most accomplished uh, women ever to do it. And even the way, because yeah, she came across as a very well-credentialed boxer. And we're not talking about like Clarissa Shields who went 10 and 0 in a big weight class where there aren't many women. We're talking about someone who boxed in like the kind of mid 130s, which is crowded divisions for women and had a long career and won titles. And she comes across. Think about this for a second. Katie Taylor just won. And they're saying the most marketable fight they could do is a boxing match with Holly Holm. Like that's how good she was. Yeah. There, there, there you go. And she came over and as Keith already pointed out, her boxing isn't what really what stood out. And, like she's never been a knockout artist with her hands. Like basically all of her uh, MMA knockouts have either been finished or at the very least set up by kicks, usually head kicks. Like she just came across and her athleticism is, I you know, and obviously the diligence to like learn the kicking game is, is what's made that run for her on the feet. I mean, Keith, have you ever been in the same room as Holly Holm? Like been face to face with her? Uh, no. She is a specimen. Like, I was kind of talking, you know, early on this card about how Gileton Almeida looks like what a casual assumes one of the toughest men in the world should look like. Like, Holly Holm is an absolute specimen. She, like, it's it's almost awe-inspiring, just, like, how much muscle tone she has. Well, I mean, you know, it's not like she, like, looks like, you know, an East German hammer thrower from, like, the 1970s Olympics or something. Like, she's still obviously identifiably female. She, she also shows up on like, you know, those weird lists of like hottest women in MMA, but she is an absolute specimen of an athlete. So if there's anyone who could disappear from age 38 to 40 and not, you know, suffer too much slippage of that top gear, if there's someone who could do the Marion Renault type thing and just still be basically athletically the same fighter, like past 40, she's probably the one who could do it. And it's really my only 
worry here. Nothing else that Ketlin Vieira brings worries me too much in the case of Holly Holm. You pointed out that first her kicking game and then also her wrestling and grappling have become uh, incredibly like powerful tools for her. She's become a really, really well-rounded fighter. And what makes all of that run is what an intelligent fighter she is. It's kind of fitting that she's one of the last stars of that original class left at Jackson Wink because, you know, on the way up in the early 2010s, everyone was like, Greg Jackson will come up with the perfect plan for his fighters to beat the other fighter. And Holly Holm is the perfect example of that because she is perfectly willing to embrace whichever one of her tools uh, stands to her best advantage. She beat the crap out of Arani Aldana, mostly with her wrestling. And in the fifth, like the fifth round was a 10-8 round. You know, not only did she have gas, but she got Aldana down again and was beating the crap out of her against Megan Anderson. Like she completely nullified Anderson just by taking her down easily in all three rounds. Like it was kind of the first indication that, okay, Anderson's got limitations. She's not going to be the one to beat Cyborg for us. Uh, Because of that, I trust that she is going to follow her best path to victory against Vieira. And it's probably the opposite of that. It's probably going to be to use her foot speed, her footwork uh, to keep the distance, just kind of win a distance kickboxing battle against Vieira as Vieira just kind of plods towards her and tries to force the clinch. And I think she's going to be able to do so unless there's been a huge decline in Holmes athleticism. I think this is a pretty straightforward and, Easy for her to, it'll look easy for her to do, even it won't be super easy for us to watch because it is five rounds. But yeah, give me home in a fight where she probably just wins a very straightforward 50 to 45. And Vieta honestly doesn't have many even moments where like there's hope that she might do a ton of damage. And then after that, we'll be talking about why <laughs> Caitlin Vieta is not fighting at 145. Cause you pointed out she might be the biggest bantamweight in the division. And the next question is, well, how does she make Bantamweight? Well, the answer is she doesn't always. She missed weight just two fights ago against Yana Konitskaya and then got beat up. Like, like, wouldn't you take Aldana against, uh, you know, Norma DeMont or Macy Chasson tomorrow? I'd think hard about it. It'll be another conversation yeah. about the future of the uh, featherweight division. But, you know, put me down for a decision win for Holly Holm as well. That's it. This has been the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 206, Holm versus Aldana, also known as UFC Vegas 55. Uh, if you're watching for the first time, first of all, thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you gathered something of value from it. Uh, make sure to like, subscribe, leave us a message in the comments. Both Keith and I uh, are good about responding to those. We'd love to hear from you. If you disagree with us, if you agree with us, if you thought something was funny, would love to hear from you. Most importantly, uh, please know that the Shillin and Duffy show also does a recap after these events. So 10 or 15 minutes after the main event, we will be live on the Sherdog YouTube page, uh, breaking down all the action from this card. Uh, we will go uh, top to bottom instead of bottom to top. Keith takes the uh, host chair and we will talk about what was good, what was bad, what was controversial, what is next for the winners as well as the losers. Uh, we hand out some prizes and the uh, the live chat section is wide open, so listeners, hopefully yourself included, will be weighing in with your questions, your hot takes. Uh, if we got any of these picks wrong, uh, especially if it's the Erosh Medich fight, absolutely let us have it. And, uh, you know, we would love to see you there. Between now and then, thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and enjoy the fights. 